3: Hey everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Weidner Show, powered by Sonic Web Studios and brought to you by official sponsor of the Mike Weidner Show, international Warring. author Mia Molson, The Missing, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. We're here with a terrific gentleman who's a professor of history and American studies at Cornell University and the author of uh, two previous books. He was a 2022 National Book Critics uh, Circle Award finalist and also co-founder of the Cornell Roundtable on Environmental Studies Topics, or best known as Crest is not the toothpaste. We'll talk about that. He's got a new book that offers a thought-provoking take on finding humor in global warming, which is basically making fun of global warming. It's like, you you know, think of Mel Brooks, think of Monty Python, think of all the satire that's going on blended into one. We're going to talk about this wonderful gentleman. He's got a new book called Stay Cool, Why Dark Comedy Matters in the Fight Against Climate Change. So for those who are for climate change, you might want to. <laughs> uh, should we be careful? Just go ahead and give an ear to it. So I get ready to make fun of, by the way. And uh, we don't want <laughs> so, some uh, death threats coming. We'll hit you some wet noodles. Live ladies and gentlemen, plus studios in beautiful downtown Ithaca around Cornell University, professor of history and American studies and author of uh, two previous books, The uh, Humboldt Current and also Arcadian uh, American. The new book, Stay Cool, White Dark Comedy Matters and the Fight Against Climate Change. Ladies and gentlemen, the multi talented. Aaron Sachs. Aaron, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Mike. Well, it's great to have you on board as well, too, and staying cool for a time being. So you're a professor of history and American studies at Cornell University and author of two previous books, The Humboldt Current and uh, Arcadian American. You also are co-founder of the um, Cornell Roundtable Environmental Studies Topics, which is CREST. And you also uh, cover a lot of issues um, when it it comes to humanities, climate change, and just about everything else as well. Your new book offers a thought-provoking take on finding humor and global warming. And um, the book is simply called Stay Cool, Why Dark Comedy Matters in the Fight Against Climate Change. And before getting all that, Aaron, tell us how you first got started.
4: Um, so this book came about largely because I was depressed about climate change and. Oh uh,
3: yeah. I think a lot of people were, we can all relate to that. Yes.
4: That's the thing. I knew, I knew I wasn't alone because pretty much everyone I talked to was also depressed about it. And, um, I just had this realization that when, when I'm feeling down, Mm -hmm. comedy can be really, really helpful and just sort of cheering me up a little bit and getting me to a place where I can function a little better. Um, and and then the other realization I had being uh, being a historian in part of the environmental movement was just realizing that environmentalism as a social movement had been very, very serious for a long time. Um, some some might even say grim or dour. Um, and environmentalists had never really tried comedy as a strategy. Um, and again, being a historian, I knew that other social movements had used comedy very effectively, like the civil rights movement, for instance. Um, and so I thought, Hey, why not look into this a little bit and, uh, and give it a shot, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it did, it actually did cheer me up and I, I hope the book, (laughs) I hope the book cheers other people up.
3: Well, I'm sure it does, too. You talk about the civil rights movement, you know, he, you know, finding some humor. And what are some of the movies and um, some of the TV shows that, um, you know, you know, kind of made fun of the uh, civil civil movement or basically just, you know, brought light into it or, um, you know, a little bit of comedy to the civil movement? What are some of the shows or movies that, um, you know, highlight it? Well, probably the
4: most important comedian to talk about in the context of the civil rights movement is. Uh, a man named dick gregory who was uh, a very very well-known comedian in the early 1960s um, performing first you know it it was right at that moment that comedy really opened up Um, a lot of black comedians had been on a a circuit where they were basically just performing to african-american crowds and communities um, but things things opened up right then and um, and they got to perform in front of uh, mixed audiences. And Dick Gregory was a big hit in, in both settings. Um, but then he got very involved in the civil rights movement and um, and sort of decided to combine those two things. And in uh, and, and many ways taught the civil rights movement to have a sense of humor. And, um, and that really helped uh, the the activists reach more people at first, you know, like, like what I'm talking about with climate change, first of all, it just cheered them up, you know, so civil rights work was really, really hard and dangerous in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you if you could sort of step back and make fun of People like the the you know infamous segregationist governor George Wallace of Alabama, um, then you could sort of cheer yourself up and uh, and uh, get some distance from the challenges. But you could also use humor to sort of appeal to the people who you wanted to get on your side, who who might have felt initially threatened by the civil rights movement. But but if you're approaching them in a more lighthearted way, then um, it's it can be easier to connect. And Dick Gregory was brilliant at that.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and do you think uh, humor would have been appropriate without uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and also the Black Panthers and also uh, Rosa Parks who were part of it, do you think it would have been uh, appropriate about those three?
4: I mean, um, you know, it's it he, comedy can be really tricky. Right, um, and uh, it, it hits people in very, very different ways, uh, depending on who they are, depending on the context. Um, and comedy, so so jokes about Rosa Parks um, might might be very tricky to do. You you have to kind of frame them in the right way. Um, if you, I, I think, if you want to make jokes about uh, civil rights heroes uh, like the people you mentioned then um, you probably have to frame those jokes in a way that um, are careful not to make those heroes look bad. I mean, you can sort of, you can sort of poke fun gently, mm-hmm. um, um, but you know, it's, it's very tricky, but, but, but the, you know, the fact that it's tricky makes comedy really, really unpredictable. It, it sort of shakes things up and and that can be really, productive when um, especially when you're part of a social movement and uh, and the whole point is to create positive change.
3: Mm -hmm. Also, a couple of black comedians that came to mind as well, too, that was around the Dick Gregory time. And um, one was Bill Cosby. I remember from the 60s and also um, Richard Pryor that, um, you know, entered the 70s as well, too. There are a couple of famous ones. And of course, you got Eddie Murphy that come around the 80s or so.
4: Yeah, um I I'm especially a big fan of Richard Pryor from from the 1970s. Uh and he really probably more than anyone else took um that mantle uh from Dick Gregory and and used comedy, d- did comedy with with a real political edge, you know, com- comedy as a way of fighting racism, um, in some sense. Uh and he also uh had a little bit of uh environmental comedy uh richard Pryor did actually i I have i have a couple of his jokes in the book
3: (laughs) well you have to we have to buy the book first in order to read as well too and that's why he named his daughter rain that's why part of the environment (laughs) maybe well, well, in order to find a joke, you have to get the book, um, Stay Cool the Why Dark uh, Comedy Matters in a Fight Against Climate Change. Uh, that's a book by uh, Aaron Sachs as well, too. And I uh, happen to read that. That's very inspiring as well, too. More of the book uh, by Aaron Sachs, but first listen to The Mike Weidner Show at themikeweidnershow.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable, custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today 1 800 303 3960. That's 1 800 303 3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention Mike Wagner, she'll get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give official shout out to our official sponsor, The Mike Widener Show, international warring author, Mia Molson If you love fast paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson Zia, available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing is fast paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. It takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson Zia has garnered great reviews. An evil endorsed by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassidy, Forge Riley, Eminems. So, grab your copy today for Goes Missing by me and Melissa Zia, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Weiner Show at the show.com or for 40 podcast platforms, heard in 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, Nightheart Radio, also Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple Music, and also subscribe on YouTube, Bit, shoot and Rumble. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. And make sure you take us with you on any mobile device. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com, check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, hope, tote bags, hoodies makes great gifts 24-7. Go to Amazon.com. Make sure you check out the Mike White Show podcast and for more great gift ideas like t-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more, along with great books on missing once and wrinkles. Amazon.com slash me and Wilson Zia. Check it out today and support the Mike Weidner Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the Show.com. We're here with the professor of history and American studies at Cornell University, author of two books, and the latest, Stay Cool, Why Dark Comedy Matters in the Fight Against Climate Change, Aaron Socks here on the Mike Weidner Show. And uh, Aaron, before we talk more about the book, Stay Cool, and um, you've been cool throughout the whole years, and um, we talked about some of the comedians that had uh, shaped, uh, you know, social change and everything else. Who are some of my favorite uh, comedians growing up?
4: Um, well, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and uh, definitely Richard Pryor, um, but I uh, was also a big fan of the the movies of Mel Brooks.
3: Oh, uh, yes. Mel Brooks, my favorite. Oh, my gosh.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was really happy to learn just recently. So so one of one of the movies I remember very vividly was called History of the World Part One. I remember that. Yes. Now there and and the part of the joke was that there was never a part two, but now a <laughs> TV show um, called History of the World Part Two, where they actually continue um, with uh, the the kind of satirical sketches that were that were in the movie. Uh, Mel, I, I, Mel Brooks must be like two hundred years old at this point. But um, wait, but wait,
1: is
3: he, is he supposed to be two thousand already or something? <laughs>
4: yeah, the two thousand year old man was one of his uh, one of his olds gigs uh uh, bits um but uh but yeah um mel brooks was incredible and um and still is and uh you know like one of one of the bits from history of the world part one i mentioned in the book was his uh skit about the spanish inquisition you know really really dark times for the jews um Mm -hmm. and and he was able to make you know like a comedic song-and-dance extravaganza about the Spanish Inquisition um, that, uh, that, you know, sort of made light of it and um, and just offered some perspective on it so so that we don't have to be burdened by thinking of it just as a tragedy. Um, you know, and I think the, the same goes for climate change. It, it certainly is a tragedy and we have to think about it that way sometimes. Um, but if we only think about it that way, then it's gonna be completely overwhelming. Um, so there have to be some times when we can just sort of get some purchase on it and uh think about it differently.
3: And speaking of Mel Brooks as well, too, another classic which um you know, you know, highlights uh some of the things with the Jews as well, too. Blazing saddles, that's another one as well, too. We're actually made um fun of hitler and of course you know you know you know of course you know hitler had a great idea but it was just poorly executed and one of the song and dances highlighted the fact that uh well you had a great idea but you just executed really crappy pal
4: (laughs) actually the um the main character in blazing saddles the african-american sheriff was supposed to be played by richard pryor um but uh he was having too many issues with drugs at that time so uh mm,
3: yes i remember uh-huh they
4: had to get a replacement but um but yeah uh the 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 whole movie is they just don't make movies like that anymore it's 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 really really out there and
3: hilarious hmm and i remember some of the scenes as well too from that movie as well too and of course you know before we talk more about the book stay cool white dark country matters in the uh, fight against climate change you've been a professor at cornell university for quite some time and um you know tell us how you got started uh, you know being a professor and of course you know before that how you got into being a professor author and everything else
4: oh thanks yeah i've been here at cornell for 19 years now um and uh before I went to graduate school to get my PhD, I worked in the environmental movement actually. I worked at an environmental nonprofit in DC called the World Watch Institute. And um and that was that was really a great job. I was, I was there for about three and a half years after college and um, got to get really involved in lots of different kinds of environmental issues. Um, but I really wanted to look at some of them through a more historical lens. Uh, I really, I really missed, I, 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 I liked working on policy, but I really kind of missed the humanities mm-hmm. and, um, and I've always loved teaching. So uh, that's what spurred me to, go to graduate school, get my PhD. And um, and then I was lucky enough to get this job here at Cornell um, after completing my PhD. And it's been wonderful to work with young people, especially young people who care about the environment. And, um, and I've really found just in the last few years, Gen Z is really getting activated. Um, And uh, they're 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 angry. They're they're uh, they're pretty frustrated with old people like us who did
3: not solve the climate change. (laughs) I'm Um, still I'm still trying to figure out square one, to be honest with you. So don't get mad (laughs) at me, guys. I didn't start this whole crap. (laughs) And neither did you.
4: Yeah, but it's it's fun, you know. Young people have incredible energy, and uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping that'll help keep me me young for a while.
3: Mm-hmm. And what was that one precise moment that simply influenced you into what you're doing for the rest of your career?
4: Um, I don't know if there was one moment, um, but when I was uh, in my last year of college. Um, it was it was 1991, 92, and um, a lot of people were talking about this huge United Nations conference that was going to happen in Rio in the summer of 1992. Um, it wound up being sometimes it was re- referred to as the Earth Summit, uh, the UN Conference on Environment and Development, um, and I learned a huge amount that year about um, not only environmental issues, but the way that um, the the way that environmental issues were playing out on a, a kind of international scale. Mm-hmm. Um, that conference, a, a lot of that conference was about the conflict between the global north and the global south, um, and and it struck me that you could not understand that conflict unless you thought about it historically you know so so much of that conflict was shaped by colonialism for instance um so all of these northern countries uh have industrialized and they're the 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 cause of the vast majority of carbon emissions um but meanwhile, the the southern con- the countries of the Global South are suffering from poverty and underdevelopment and are very, very vulnerable to some of the impacts of climate change. Uh, it seemed like this really, really terrible and complicated conflict, uh, and it made me want to help. Um, and and then I was lucky enough to I mean I I, gradu- I graduated in a, a terrible recession in 1992 it was very oh, tough oh yes job. I remember that um but then but after after a few months of uh, living miserably at home with my parents after graduating from college um, I was lucky enough to get this job in D.C. at World Watch and so I moved down there and. Um, yeah, felt felt uh really, really good about getting the the chance to see some um policy issues close up in DC. Um it was so that was, you know, I, I I got to DC in January of '93. It was right when Clinton and Gore were inaugurated. Um, and it was a very exciting time. There, there was even there there were about five minutes when people were talking about a carbon tax. Um huh uh and it felt like there was this possibility that something could actually be done about global warming right then in the spring of 1992 and then it got shut down by the republicans and uh and that was it um but uh but it was you know it was for me it was uh interesting as as uh someone in my early 20s uh to to see how that played out and to and to think more about the environment and uh, and global development and all those interrelated things.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you talked about, uh, you know, being at the real summit uh, back in 92. And of course, being in Washington around 93 and the solutions that came up with those problems. Do you think those same solutions would apply today? Would it be easier? The same would be more difficult.
4: You know, um historians are are uh traditionally very uncomfortable analyzing recent history we we like um at least 30 the 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 rule in the profession is like at least 30 years need to pass before we can be comfortable saying so so we're right on the cusp of of that was 30 years ago um it's hard it, it's very hard to say uh you know the some some political historians have identified um, the the moment really in 1994 with the rise of Newt Gingrich and the contract with America um, as the moment when American politics became sort of hopelessly divided, um, and you know, it's I, I'm not totally certain about that. Uh, but um, but I I can tell you, you know, I was I was there in D.C. working on the carbon tax. It seemed it was so exciting. It seemed like, you know, all the economists agreed that this was what had to be done. Um, and then the fact that it got shut down in Congress uh, was was really, really demoralizing. And, and it turned out to be quite consequential. Um, because that that idea of a carbon tax, which is which is the most obvious strategy to reduce carbon emissions, simply put. Um, it got shelved for a long, long time and um, and now, I mean, I still think it's the most obvious direct strategy for reducing carbon emissions. Um, but it seems totally impossible. It, it seems unthinkable. Um, given our current political climate mm-hmm. um I mean I am happy with with the the new infrastructure bill and uh and you know it of course it could have done more but it does have quite a lot um in terms of money for public transit and infrastructure for electric vehicles and and all of that so it's definitely a move in the right direction the and en- the energy industry is shifting um toward, solar and wind power and renewables in general. So, you know, change, change is starting to happen. And that's a positive sign.
3: Mm -hmm. And speaking of change as well, too, with the uh, change in uh, energy infrastructure and the power grid as well, too, there's been some debate about uh, the power grid is going to be going out. There's not enough power. Do you think the power grid is going to be holding up or do you think that's going to go through a mass overhaul?
4: Um, the infrastructure bill is gonna help with that for sure um uh but but yeah it's it's a concern um I think probably people should be making more jokes about the power grid um but uh but yeah I mean there's 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 so many things to be concerned about it's it's just it's important that we not get too overwhelmed by them
3: and, and it's just maybe think uh, how many does so-and-so take a take take to change a power grid that's another one
1: <laughs>
3: <Right>. <laughs> hey i think we just started something you also had some books the humble um current as well too 19th century exploration of the roots of american environmentalism and also arcadian uh american the death and life of an environmentalist tradition maybe just a quick summary of those uh two books before we get back to uh your book stay cool
4: Um, So The Humboldt Current, my first book was uh, about the influence of a scientific explorer named Alexander von Humboldt from the early 19th century. Um, And the basic idea of that book is that explorers um, had these really, really interesting encounters with frontier environments and frontier people. And sometimes we think of explorers as just sort of agents of empire who get sent out to to sort of lay the groundwork for um more colonialism and uh and exploitation but in fact a lot of the scientific explorers of the 19th century turned out to be um Quite sort of you could call them proto environmentalists. Uh, quite quite interested in the people they were encountering and the environments uh, that they were sort of mapping and uh, and getting to know for the first time. And they felt kind of protective of those people and places. Um, so it's a really it's it's a it's kind of an interesting and surprising history of um, some scientific explorers in the nineteenth century. And then um, in the second book, Arcadian America, um, I got very interested in people who were thinking environmentally closer to home. Um, So in, in, in cities, especially. And I got really interested in the origins of the city parks movement. And I found surprisingly and interestingly that urban parks actually came from um, the movement to create cemeteries uh mm-hmm. in urban in spaces. Instead of just having what were called burying grounds or graveyards, fairly grim places, usually in churchyards. Um, in the 1830s, uh, starting in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with Mount Auburn Cemetery, horticulturists started creating these places which which they decided to call cemeteries instead of graveyards. Mm-hmm. Um that were that were essentially beautiful park like gardens, um, and it really really caught on. They became these cemeteries became huge tourist attractions, nice. and um, and people used them the way we use parks. and And their success actually led directly to the creation of famous parks like Central Park in Manhattan. Um, so anyway, I got I got very interested in the idea that um, that the this this tradition of burying our dead in beautiful places had uh, really, really important environmental consequences. Um, so uh, yeah, that's Arcadian America.
3: Mm, that is rather interesting. It's like burying the dead. Is uh is contributing to uh the um the the change that's happening as well, too. And of course, we still have to stay cool why dark comedy matters in the fight against climate change. We're going to get more into the book with Aaron Sachs. Listen to the Mike Weidner show at the Show.com, powered by Sonic Web Studios, and brought to you by our official sponsor of the Mike Weidner Show, international warring author, Mia they The Missing. We'll be back with the author of Stay Cool, Aaron Sachs. After this time.
0: The Mike Wagner Show is powered by Sonic Web Studios. If you're looking to start or upgrade your online presence, visit www.sonicwebstudios.com for all of your online needs. Call 1-800-303-3960 or visit us online at www.sonicwebstudios.com to get started today. Mention The Mike Wagner Show and get 20% off your project
3: We're back with the um author of the book Stay Cool, Why Dark Comedy Matters and the Fight Against Climate Change. I'm Professor Cornell University Aaron Sachs here on the Mike Wagner show. And of course, uh, the book is We Have in our hands, and of course, you know, you know, inspire a little bit of Mel Brooks and uh, of course, you know, you know, environmentalists, and you know, a good, a good thing to make for themselves. You know, he, he talked a little bit about uh, you know, writing the book. So maybe just a bit more about what actually inspired you more to write the book, Stay Cool.
4: Well, you just mentioned making fun of ourselves, and that was another big spur for me, realizing that environmentalists um, often come across as not terribly relatable. Um, Environmentalists can be pretty self-righteous, sanctimonious, um, holier than thou. uh, And I thought, you know, why not uh, learn something from great comedic traditions where, where people have sort of turned humor on themselves in order to be more relatable and make better connections with people. Um, there was, so I, I have a lot in the book about how American comedy was changing in the 1950s and 1960s. It was this really, really crucial turning point. And one of the key innovations was that comedians started to make fun of themselves, mm-hmm. uh, this, the one of my favorite comedians is named Phyllis Diller. Uh, she had, Oh,
3: yeah, I love Phyllis she's, Diller.
4: Oh, great. From the from the 50s and 60s, she had this wild hair. I've got a picture of her in the book. Um, and uh, she's she said, I, I start with self denigration and then I move on to the denigration of everybody else. Um, <laughs> the, point, the point is, you know, like if you make fun of yourself first, it's just much easier to say anything. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that seems like a really good lesson for environmentalists, uh, just in terms of how they come across and how they communicate with other people.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and certainly communicate as well, too, that the African-Americans and the Jews uh, use gallows humor. And, of course, long tradition of uh, laughing during suffering, especially from black pride to San Francisco earthquake of 1906 and of course you also got um you know some of the wars going on and of course you have the um the recession and of course you have the COVID of um 2020-21 and everything else and uh activism and everything like that it's like you know you know how how does that manage to um you know save everything how they put it to use and of course you know most importantly can that type of comedy save the world
4: yeah, I mean the th- that was the thing as I did the research for this book I discovered more and more examples of these horrible events um and and just general sort of oppression and suffering where people used dark comedy to just help them get through. You 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 mentioned the 1906 San Francisco earthquake um you know, thousands of people died. Uh, a lot of the city was destroyed in the fires immediately after the earthquake, um, and so you don't. It, it's hard to imagine people joking about that in the moment, but in fact, they did. It's 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 well documented from um, newspapers uh, at the time. One of my favorite examples from the 1906 San Francisco earthquake was. You know, people were sort of uh, who who no longer had a home, they were out on the street, they were sort of huddled together, um, and they put up a sign that said, Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow, we may have to go to Oakland. (laughs) (laughs) Um and Oakland um, of
3: all places, you sure it ain't Compton or anything like that?
4: (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just so important uh during during those moments when you're at risk of feeling completely immobilized by despair, that you try to sort of get some distance from your situation, gain some purchase on it, um, take a breath, feel solidarity with other people, um get it together, and keep going, Persevere. Comedy's really dark dark comedy in particular is really good at helping with resilience and perseverance. And we certainly need that in the age of climate change.
3: Mm-hmm. And do you think it's too soon for comedy um to to um to to go about with this whole climate change? Is it still in the works, or can people go ahead and like you know just joke about climate change?
4: Yeah, I mean, like I was saying earlier, it comedy hits different people in different ways. Um, so it's 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 not always going to be perfect. Uh, people are gonna screw up trying to tell jokes about climate change. Um, but you know I definitely don't think it's too soon. Um, I think the danger really is is that it's almost too late to do something about climate change and you know the the tragic approach, the the shaming approach, the terrifying approach, those haven't worked very well. So, you know, like why not try the darkly comedic approach and um, see if it maybe gets us somewhere,
3: Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I can see the jokes about cancel culture as well, too. That's also part of, um, you know, part of death as well, too. Cancel culture. I can see people joking about that. I mean, especially myself, it's like, you know, canceling popular Pew. Yeah, that stinks, but it's going to come back and stink <laughs> right back. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, skunks, uh, you know, do contribute to the climate in good ways and bad ways. Yeah, it stinks, but it's also um essential for the animals too, you think about it. So... <laughs> and romantic <laughs> uh so we just uh have all that too and of course um and of course just another thing about the book as well too um with uh Aaron Saxon and the Mike Wagner show and uh basically about um w- with it's like you know you know close to the planet and everything else what can people do actually to uh save the planet and uh, you know how, how can we all help
4: yeah, I mean, I, I I don't I don't know how we're going to save the planet. Um, but uh there are creative people out there working on it and what what I'm focusing on is just having the right kind of mindset and attitudes uh so that we have the energy to to try to save the planet. So, um so you know, some of my suggestions in the book have to do with compiling jokes um you know, getting getting a hat that says uh, "Make the planet cool again." Um, uh, you know, just a- a- anything you can think of. I mean, for for environmentalists, um, you can you can tell light bulb jokes um, in, in, instead of like the next time you are uh, presenting at a meeting of of local activists, instead of starting with all the bad news. Um, start with uh, a couple of jokes and maybe even make fun of yourself and 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 how self-righteous you used to be when you, um used to tell people that they were using too much energy. Um it's it's really just a matter of kind of lightening things up and uh, creating uh, the right mindset and setting a different tone. Um, reminding ourselves that we're all in this together. And, uh, and we really need to come together as much as possible. I really, you know, like, I think the political and social divisions in this country are really, really difficult right now. And, um, and in fact, if you think about it, climate change becomes something that almost everyone can agree on. Um, You know, like, people of uh, all shapes and sizes and races and classes have experienced floods and hurricanes and fires um the 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 damage has been really devastating and it's it's just escalated beyond uh anyone's previous experience you know it's like yeah we can all agree that it shouldn't be called a 100 year flood if it's happening every 5 years you know mm-hmm. um we're all we're all vulnerable some more than others and and they deserve to be protected but um you know like we we really need to to sort of step up and recognize this as a, a common problem
3: mm-hmm. and of course i can see uh mel brooks doing history of the world part three as we speak here on climate change so <laughs> <laughs> we can certainly all that and where can we find uh stay cool at in all your books at erin
4: Um, They should be widely available, you know, Amazon, uh, your local independent bookseller. This book, Stay Cool, is published by NYU Press, so you can also uh, get it from their website. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely out there.
3: Okay, we're we'll certainly check that out. We're here with the author Aaron Sachs of uh, "Stay Cool: White Dark Comedy Matters in the Fight Against Climate Change" on the Mike Weiner Show. Professor of American Studies at Cornell University. Just a few more minutes here. What else can we expect from you in twenty twenty three and beyond, Aaron? From me, yes.
4: <laughs> um, well, you know, it takes it takes a while to write books, so I'm I'm mostly going to be uh, just sort of holed up in my. Uh, office um for you know when I when I'm not teaching um so I don't I don't I don't have anything else immediately forthcoming um but I am working on a new book that uh that looks at um the environmental justice movement and uh the history of the the sort of ideas that went into environmental justice when when I was, we were talking before about uh, when I worked for the World Watch Institute in Washington, D.C. Um, that was in the early to mid-90s, and uh, the environmental justice movement was just sort of on the rise at that moment, and I got very interested in it, and uh, that has remained an interest for me. Um, so now that I'm a historian, I thought I would look at it historically.
3: Hmm. Well, certainly looking forward to it as well, too, Aaron. And who do you consider biggest influence in your career?
4: Well, um, I'm not really sure, um, but uh, there are a, a number of writers who have been very influential uh, for me. Um, one of them who leaps to mind uh, is a writer named Wallace Stegner who wrote both fiction and nonfiction. Um, he I, might be most famous for uh, a novel called Angle of Repose, which won the Pulitzer Prize in the early 70s, I think, um, which is a historical novel um, about, in, in part, uh, about mining in the West. He was, Stegner was a Westerner, and uh, a lot of his themes were about the West, and I have a lot of that in my work as well. And he was also very interested in environmental issues at a very early time, uh, so I found that quite inspirational. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've also found, uh, other environmental writers to be really, really important to me. Rachel Carson, the author of Silent Spring, which came out back in 1962 before I was born, but, um, a huge bestseller and, really, you could argue, um, launched the environmental movement in the United States, you know, mm. pro- silent spring is probably the most important environmental book ever published, I would say. Um, so she's, she's sort of a hero of mine as well. Mm. Uh, that's but, really yeah.
3: interesting as well. And, uh, keep going. You're on a roll here, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, one of my favorite writers uh, right now is an essayist named Rebecca Solnit, um, and you know I was I, I told you that uh, about that poster from the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. She wrote this um, amazing book called A Paradise Built in Hell, where she looks at um, she's she's not so interested in comedy, but she looks at disasters and catastrophes. Um, throughout history, and she finds w- one of the most remarkable things about them is that they really bring out the good in people. Mm-hmm. Um, people really, and and probably her her deepest case study is Hurricane Katrina from 2005. Oh yeah, and she just she talks about the way that uh, the community re- really came together and and everybody was helping everybody else um, in the aftermath of that hurricane. Um, you know we 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 tend to I, I think um we we often have sloppy generalizations about human nature and we you know we we live in a, a society that we think of as very self-interested um but you know uh solnit's study of these uh social and environmental disasters really shows that um you know Lots and lots of people are actually good Samaritans when it comes down to, uh, you know, the these kinds of survival situations when people are really, really uh, in trouble and and need help. The help is often there. And um, and, you know, so it's 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 another form of inspiration that uh, that I
3: think you can take from history. Okay, and certainly well indeed as well. And what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point?
4: Just find a way uh, to laugh at the darkness and uh, and that will make the darkness a little lighter.
3: I like that. That's a really good one. Just lit a little light bulb in my head right there and I have to use energy. <laughs> We're here with author Aaron Sachs of Stay Cool, White Dark Comedy Matters and Fight Against Climate Change here on the Mike Weidner Show. Aaron, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to having you again soon. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. And once again, what's your website? How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your works?
2: Oh,
4: thanks so much for having me. This this has been a pleasure. Um, you can find me if you just look up the Cornell University History Department. Um, I'll be right there. There's a picture of me with uh, one of my cats on my shoulder. And, um, and you can find the book uh, at local independent booksellers, amazon.com, or this particular book, Stay Cool, uh, published by NYU Press. You can go directly to the press's website and purchase it there
3: we will certainly check that out once again Aaron, a very big thank you for your time you've been absolutely amazing looking forward to having again soon keep us up to date keep in touch live have you back wish all the best and aaron you definitely have a great future have you
0: thank you and stay cool the mike wagner show is powered by sonic web studios